on this edition of AV Week. We have two acquisitions in Focus Grab Somebody and Control 4 bought up packets. Plus, Infocom has a brand new standard. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Display Note. This is AV Week, episode 232, recorded Friday, February 5th, 2016. The Wizarding World of Paul Zeely. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us this week. Buddy, pal, rapper extraordinaire, and oh yeah, by the way, he puts in AV systems. Mr. Phil Cordell, how are you, brother? Hey, great, Tim. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Uh, Also with us, uh, daylight person extraordinaire, uh, not, not Taekwondo. What do you teach? What martial uh, arts? I teach Muay Thai. Yeah. Muay Thai. So I think yeah, Taekwondo go. was in there somewhere. Uh, Mark Coxon, how are you, sir? Good, Tim. Av Phenom uh, at at Av Phenom. Um, I'm I, I I'm gonna you know take him to task over a blog he wrote recently about who owns the code, but that's a that's the that's, programmer that's side good. of me. Nice nice surprise by the way. That's Tim. the Thanks. programmer oh. side of me. So <laughs> uh, also with us is Mr. Wizard himself, Paul Zeely from uh, Harmon International. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I mentioned the wizard part because Paul is jumping on a jet plane uh, here really quickly to go on to ISC. And part of his uh, festivities at ISC, you get to ask the wizard anything. Uh, and he is said wizard. So uh, first up, <clears throat> so <laughs> this, this, this is a rumor that was starting um probably about a month or so ago and if you're watching the screen I'll, I'll throw this story up here um so about a month or so ago i got two different phone calls from folks and neither one like would confirm or be on the record so there was no point in, in writing a story about it um that hey uh control four might be buying somebody right and then it was somebody that it, part of that was also that somebody might be buying control four but that obviously was not the case uh, and suddenly, uh, out of nowhere, I guess is the best way to put this, um, yesterday, uh, a bunch of folks in the media and on the Twitterverse and on the Facebooks got this announcement, Control 4 acquiring PackEdge device and software, a leader in advanced home networking. This is obviously a press release. Um, but here's the thing, guys. It, it, it was, it, it was it, I'm not going to say it was shocking, right? Uh, first of all, Control 4 is a publicly traded company. Right. Uh, so there's a couple of ways that you can keep investors happy and, 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 and people who own your stock happy. One is to grow uh, through um, market share and this and another way is to grow is another way to grow is through acquisition. Right. Uh, Mark, we're going to kick it off with you here. What does this say about Control 4 and, and, and is this a, a good move on their part? Um, I think it's a good move. I mean, Control 4 uses a, a variety of different technologies, obviously, to control things within the house. You know, they use some ZigBee protocol or Z-Wave 
Um, they're compatible, obviously, with Wi-Fi. Their devices on the network. Um, you know, they just came out with two new uh, controllers for the home. Got rid of their old stuff. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's a I think it's a good thing. I think it helps them manage devices remotely better if they obviously if they have a, a window into the network and they can control that network a little better. Um, it gives them. I guess an advantage over somebody like Savant that's maybe not selling that switch and those Wi-Fi routers and has a chance to manage that through the home control system, right? So uh, I was a Control 4 dealer in Arizona for quite a few years, so I might be a little partial to that. For me, this was a little surprising only because, you know, kind of the rumor in the space for a long time was Control 4 wasn't in this business for the long haul, that they really just wanted to build a business to sell. Um, and to see them putting money into another business and making their business bigger I think may go a little ways to kind of dispel that rumor that they're not here to build uh, a new control company, but just to be acquired by someone else. That's a really good point, dude, is the fact that you, because you're right. Um, th there was, a, that was one of the rumors, especially when they went public, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That was one of the, one of the people who were, who were against them going public were like, well, you know, they're just trying to, you know, make a, not, not make a quick buck because nobody in this business makes a quick buck. buck. So, sure. uh, Mr. Cordell, from, from your standpoint, what does this mean um, from a control standpoint also is from a business standpoint? Yeah, uh, you know, I think Mark hit on it in terms of being able to remote in. I mean, that's, you know, having that window into the network is a, is a huge plus that uh, that pack edge really did beautifully and elegantly. Uh, so I think it's a huge win for control four. And, uh, you know, if they're looking to get bought by somebody, maybe uh, maybe Crestron would buy them so they could come out to Cedia. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> the whole show. Wow. Just saying. Too easy. Too easy. All right. um, from a business standpoint, you're absolutely right, though. Acquisitions and mergers, man, is, is uh, you know, that's something that, that you got to keep an eye out for. And it's an excellent way to, to diversify your uh, your product offerings. And so I think that's this is like a match made in heaven that puts them ahead of, uh, you know, all the other control manufacturers that don't have that leg up from the networking standpoint, because as we all know, you know, everything's on the network now and more devices are, are, you know, piling on by the day. So. Well, yeah. let's, let's get it. Let's get a network uh, uh, expert on uh, Mr. Zeely. <laughs> both of these guys have made really good points about this, giving control for a leg up when it comes to networking stuff. Um, does it, was this, was this a good move on their part? I think in the market that Control 4 lives in, which is which is the home market, um, it's absolutely a um, good um, move because for their stuff to work, it has to work well on the network and to be able to limit it out and, and provide that network environment for, for the home that's build, being built. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it also gives them a really good um, base to get into what's going to be the the really hot part of um, the whole home automation IoT, which is going to be controlling the gateway. So PackEdge has a number of network control products and things that will allow them to start to unify how various devices are managed on multiple networks. So so with with what PackEdge already has, they have a way to start building um, IP to, to Zigbee gateways that can securely allow you to get into the home and and not not force you to be reliant on external services. And that's gonna be the the 
big key in that market because um, uh, as well as what Control 4 has already done within apps, they'll be able to, to unify because I have a lot of home automation stuff and it drives me crazy to have to switch app to app to app. And um, so this will give them a chance to become that, that unifying presence glue um, to, to bring things together and will and we'll really jump them up in that space if, if they play it right. Hmm. Um, that being said, even combined, they're, they're tiny against some of the, the forces that are getting into that space. So even to be acquired, they're going to have to bulk up. A, uh, a $30 million company is not an um, attractive acquisition to a Google or an Apple or, or some of these companies that are getting in. They want to buy a three or $400 million company. So even if they're trying to get acquired, they're going to have to, to bulk up to really get you know, that top dollar company that wants to, to acquire them. Okay, so so hang on for a second because you, you're right. Apple and, and Google both are, are trying to make inroads into the home space. Um, not that either of them is, is are hurting for money. Um, right. So th they have a, a chance, and you're right. They're they're typical, you know, more successful not more successful company, but 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 more uh, um, market cap companies. That but could it possibly another company then? If you know, um, I don't know. I'm not yeah. going to say Crestron, but, um, you know, Cisco or another uh, networking company capture them, or, or does that not make any sense? Uh, no, no, they absolutely could. Um, the big issue, and it was strange because I never really thought about it, but um, um, I've looked at companies uh, and said, gee, that would be a great thing just to acquire into Harman. And um, Harman doesn't want to buy companies that have, a $20 million. It's, it's a lot of work for a large company to, to buy <laughs> a company. So they want to, they want to bring in maximum and, and there are thresholds that, and I don't know where they exist within various things, but, um, they don't necessarily suck up smaller companies. And if you're looking at the, the mass consumer market, I mean, control four, as, as large as it is within the AV thought of the home automation market, in, in the mass consumer market, it, it's still tiny. And so, so I think bulking up and becoming a company with a $100 million valuation actually will make them more attractive uh, um, to, to be bought, as well as they've picked up a significant intellectual property portfolio here um, which is going to make them more attractive for acquisition, if that is what they want to do. Yeah, if that's what they want. But, you know, I, 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 Phil and, and Mark both made really good points about the fact that it, it kind of solidifies their network acumen, I think. Well, and it, it has to be. They have to do that because it's bad enough going into a corporate space that has professional discipline. You don't necessarily want to support every every home router and switch set and and goes because all the customer ever says is that control system doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what are you using? Oh, I'm using this D-Link hub that's been, you know, working flawlessly for the last 18 years. Yeah. <laughs>
And I think that's a I think that's a good point. And with their new you know with their new line of of controllers and things, you know, they're really focusing on streaming, not only streaming music services, but also streaming local collections and things like that. And when you're starting to tout that you stream media through the house, you want to be able to make sure that the media is streaming properly. And the only way to do that is to have a good network in place. So, right, absolutely. And they can just say, you know, if you put in our network, yeah, it's going to work. And yeah. And it becomes very easy on tech support to say, you know, we'll give you better support if you put in our network switch because we'll understand the end-to-end -end environment. Yeah, and you could even have drop-down QoS settings per port based on what's at the other end yeah. on that node. Yeah, and you have templates, you have standard ways of doing it. And in the scheme of things, it's not, chances are a home automation system is going to buy some level of network anyway and it becomes a single point of purchase for the, the customer, which is, um, you know, always attractive. Yeah, sure. Probably. Up next, uh, another acquisition real quick in focus uh, is acquiring uh, a video solution provider, Avastar. Um, so here's a question for you on this one. Um, I guess it's the same question, Phil. I'll start with you here. Uh, what kind of sense does this make for, for InFocus to, to pick up a, a BTC company? Uh, I think it makes fine sense. You know, uh, we sell a boatload of Mondo pads. You know, they've got endpoints out there. Uh, and so if they can, you know, kind of roll out an offering that, that lets you incorporate, you know, any of your devices into their environment, I think that's a win for them. There's just so many companies out there in that space right now that, I mean, I don't know how they're going to, differentiate themselves, you know, honestly, from Pexip or Videxio or from any of the other companies that are that are doing exactly what this, you know, looks like it does uh, for the press release. So I'm very interested to see how their marketing picks up behind it. Uh, and I think that because they've got their foot in the door in so many conference rooms, you know, across America that they've got, you know, a leg up in terms of, of pushing this product out to people, uh, you know, in the enterprise where maybe they don't already have something rolled out, you know, but they're I hate to say late to the game, but I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of large companies that already have all this stuff figured out. So I hope it works out for them. Uh, we'll see. You know? Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, same kind of question though, yeah. but, but uh, Phil makes a good point is the fact that, that there are a lot of companies that already do this. Now, that's not to say that, that another company can't come along and develop something, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, um, or acquire somebody that does it bigger, faster, stronger. So does that kind of feel what, what InFocus is doing? Um, yeah, I would argue that nobody's figured it out yet. <laughs> um, there's a lot of there's a lot of ninety percent solutions. There's still that that grand unified question, um, which comes up to the point now that when I'm having a um, meeting, um, I've got a five minute negotiation as to whether it's going to be WebEx or Google Hangouts or Skype or or everything else as we're negotiating through platforms. So, so within companies, um, there's definitely ways to go. Um, Avastar is is highly interoperable. Um, maybe not to some of maybe the PEXIP level, but uh, they they support you know Citrix same time all of these various um, various distribution um, internal. Uh, things so uh, and and handle multipoint better than than some of those do so so it becomes something in the conference room that can handle your go-to meeting or your same time or your your webex or these various um, uh, 
solutions. And quite frankly, InFocus has to um, continue to diversify and grow if for no other reason than nobody's making any money in projection. And, um, and, and they have to find where this business business is going to go and, and put a value add onto their display type technology because otherwise they'll just be consumed by commoditization. Um, you know, we're, we're beyond the point where there's a differentiating features within um, projectors. They're good enough. There's a race to the bottom in, in, in focuses market. So what they're doing is trying to refocus that conversation back on on the application rather than just on I need a 1080p projector with with 5,000 lumens and they've done that well with the Mondo pad and with some other things which have really been able to, to hold their value proposition so I think it's probably good and it's probably good for Avastar too because I wouldn't want to be that size of a of a um, unified communication video conferencing company in the in the world of giants. So it, it gives it gives them a way to leverage those customer sets um, that are either using Avastar or that are are using the InFocus and go. And I think you're going to see a lot of this consolidation um, in in areas as as the the big players start to take notice. And uh, and come in, you know. This this is, could be a shot across the bow against the Microsoft Surface Hub. Um, seriously, I mean. Okay, but, um, but here's the thing, and, and, and I'm not I, I yeah. I'm not being hateful here. Yeah. I'm sure that it's going to come out eventually, but it hasn't yet. Right. Yeah, but that but that's Microsoft's um, mo. They, they but they, they keep they, delaying they, it. But they did that. They did the exact same thing with Link. Microsoft right. thinks it might want to get into a market and uh, makes an announcement just to put the market on hold for two years while they think about it. Yeah. Uh, Link, it. Link was over two years after I went to comprehensive Link training before anything came out because Microsoft was thinking about taking a hard, taking a run at the voice over IP market and they just decided we're Microsoft, we can put the whole world on hold until we decide we want to be in this market by making an announcement. It, it's 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 a standard strategy for them. Tim, they did the same Tim. thing in the web browser market. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I was going to say this was this was my whole take on the Infocom Avastar acquisition was but this is what happens when you don't ship, right? What happens when you announce a product and you don't ship is you give all your competitors a chance to catch up because the main value proposition that Microsoft Surface Hub is bringing from a technology standpoint is, hey, look, everything lives in this box. It's not third party. Link is integrated in. We own Link. We own the Surface Hub. We own Office. We own the Surface Hub. All these things are integrated into the box, and the box is going to be a one-size-fits-all. Here's an appliance. Well, sorry, two sizes fits all. We can ship the second size at some point. But a two-size fits all. the first size. So. <laughs> solution, right? So they, they have this piece and they have this play, but when you don't ship, and I worked for IBM, so I understand some of this too, Paul, but definitely, that a lot of times you do this R&D, you go out and you put out these announcements, you say you have this technology. What IBM used to do was license it to Compaq and HP, put a two-year window on when they could start using it so that IBM could get it to market first, and then what they would do is inevitably not get it to market first. 
So they sold all their R&D. The other company beats them to market with their own product two years later, and then everybody's calling you going, do you have this? And you go, we invented it, but we're not shipping it for six months. Right? So it's, it's a major, major problem. But this is what happens when you announce a product that you don't ship. You give these guys the chance to go out and make these acquisitions. Now when Surface does ship, and they go, oh, well, ours is all integrated in. And Mondopad goes, well, so is ours. And guess what? If you don't want to use Link, you can use Hangouts. Or you can use this because Avastar has a Link interoperability platform already. So if somebody wants to use Link, go, no problem. Ours does Link too. Avastar has been doing Link for X amount of years before it was even called Link, right? So here it is. And I think that's what they, they're doing. That's actually a really good point is the fact that you've got you, you've got all these guys that, that are, God love Microsoft. I mean, I, I, I wish them the best. I really do. But it's a really good point. You're, you're giving the you're, it's almost like you're um, you're showing your hand right before you're ready to 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 to, to deal in. I mean, it, it really, really is, is unfortunate. So but, uh, but also one of the big things that they do is and, and where I see this doing it is. When Avastar and InFocus is in there, they are going to have to be selling against the expectation that Surface Hub will will ship someday. Okay, that's great. Whereas but if Microsoft didn't have something, but, no, no. but it's a deal killer. It oh, really oh, is. Oh, 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 how time out. <coughs> I got two manufacturers on. Okay, I love you guys, right? I, I God love you, Milestone and their underwriters. Um, if you show me something at a trade show and I ask you when it ships and you say either eventually next quarter or next year, I'm leaving your booth. Okay. It's not happening. Vaporware trade show where whatever you want to call it, the expectation is not worth it. Now, yes, from a marketing standpoint, I get the whole idea. We're first to market or whatever. You're not first to market unless you're shipping it. Sorry. Unfortunately, you don't have that, uh, <laughs> The mentality of the uh, IT people who would just assume everything was Microsoft, and, and if they that. have an expectation, they're going to not put in another platform while they're waiting for micro Microsoft. And Microsoft does this over and over and over again. All right. Yeah, and I, I, I would agree with Paul on that. The, the advantage that Surface Hub has in the market is that they have business relationships with companies yeah. that are Microsoft partners. And if you're an AV dealer that has the access to Hub, you have access to clientele. That's not my dog, I promise. You have access to clientele that you didn't have access to before. And that, that is a business uh, advantage in the space. But from a technology standpoint, this, this really catches in focus up. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, next up is uh, Infocom and their standards. Uh, let's see if I can bring up this, this story here before I screw something else up. Uh, Infocom has released a cable standard. Um, it, it, what's, what's interesting about this is I actually got a call a month ago from an old friend of mine and said, hey, is there a standard out there <laughs> for cabling? Um, I'm not making this up. This, this actually happened. And I said, well, as luck would have it, they're working on it. Uh, it hasn't been released yet. And what happens two or three weeks later, this this comes out. Um it's a standard on, on cable labeling. All right, let's, let's be clear here. Um, according to the article here, quote, unquote, consistent, clear labeling of interconnected cables, which serve as the core of integrated systems, is very important. John Bailey of CTS, the vice president of technology for Whitlock. He's also the chair 
of the task group that did this. Um, so here's the thing, guys. Th this is um, th this is a standard. This is a standard based and built for Intelcom, right? This is for um, the folks, the members, the CTSs, the CTSIs, uh, even the CTSDs out there. So it's a standard for cable labeling. I actually <laughs> like it, and I, I know it's weird. It's a standard, and I get it. And there's thousands of standards. However, there are very few uh, as frustrating things as going into a job site when somebody else has done it, and let's say trying to figure out where this cable that is or that cable goes to without toning it out. Right? Yes, you can tone it out as long as there's no crosstalk, as long as it's not laying over a ballast on a light. Right? There's all sorts of ways that that toning can can screw you up. So. Uh, Mr. Zeely, we'll start with you here. Um, so what do we think about the uh, the cable labeling standard? I am all for it. I just happened to be on a job site last month where I had to crawl in behind a rack, and I looked and said, oh, great, every cable, every cable is labeled. And I looked at it, and the labeling was um, what it plugged into on the end where the plug was. So I had no ability to uh, figure out what was on the other end of the cable. So I've, I've looked at this um, a little bit. Um, they came up, and because it's an Infocom standard, not an ANSI standard, they were able to do it in nine months instead of four years, um, which is, I mean, it's, no, it's, 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 really, it's really good. So, and this is the first Infocom standard since they started doing standards that they didn't bring in through the ANSI track. So so that gives me a lot of hope for other standards like this um, that are peculiar to the in industry and they have what all the options are so it can be specced into the job that you're going to put near end, far end, um, cable type um, and any, any anything else you want into it and it, uh, you know, I am I am always for standards because it, it because it eliminates confusion in um, in uh, what you're getting out of the job and it keeps me from having to write 20 pages in the RFP because I can say we'll meet you know the standard. Infocom standard this with options one three and five. Okay, so hang on for a second. You you, you said something there. I, I want to clarify. So this is not an ANSI standard. Why is that important, and, and why did you say you hope they, they do more of them? Well, ANSI standards are broad across everything. So if you were going to go with an ANSI cabling standard, um, you would have to bring in the unified standard for, for cabling. Because, and when you're dealing with ANSI, um, you're also dealing with ISO. So it becomes an international standard, so it has a very long review process. And there are things within the AV industry that don't necessarily need a, a strong international standards board behind them. They can be shorthand. And if ANSI wants to take its cable labeling standard, which is huge and comprehensive and includes everything in the world, um, and bring this in, that's fine. But um, if I was, you know, Sometimes, even if this is considered an interim step, being able to get it done in nine months provides a lot of a lot of value to the market. Um, 
instead of waiting for four years for a standard. Oh, that's a you know, um, I had some need on on the um, Infocom ANSI 2003 standard, and uh, they said, oh, that's perfect. We're updating it. And I called the person who was in charge of it and um, and uh, said, oh, this is good. I want to know about the updates. He said, this is perfect. The committee's all going and everything else. We will have our first request for comment by Infocom 2017. <laughs> I'm like, well, that doesn't help me in May. Thanks. May of this, yeah, <laughs> May of this year. So. Is that the uh, is that the audio coverage standard? No, it's the integration standard. Okay. So I don't remember if it's 2003-1, but um, uh, looking, I had some needs within the needs analysis process, and and they're looking at updating um, some of those portions and uh, specifically to bring in um, more network and, and some other things. But because it's an, a standard like that and has committee and international, it's a very long process to, to do anything. Mr. Coxon, from a, as a you know, not manufacturer but also a former integrator, what do you think about a, a cabling label st labeling standard? I don't know anybody who wouldn't be for one, right? I mean, I think we've all walked into job sites when things were a mess and you couldn't figure out what was plugged in where, like Paul just said. I mean, we used to go in and clean that up all the time. I, I think there are a couple things with the standard. I don't know if everybody read the standard. Um, one is one is is that it's a it's a standard, but not somewhat not of a standard, right? Because if you're you define the initials by which you define signal type, right? So if I want to say all my speaker wires are S's. And they're number, you know, speaker, and then number two, and then it's plenum, like an S2P, like they show in the example. Um, then that's fine. And then if, but if another person wants to say, well, in my system, speaker wires are audio, A2P. Um, I guess it's not a huge deal because you're going to be referring to a plan set that actually has a key that tells you what those are. It's better than and see that right there nothing. is the key, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, going into that key, I, I think I really liked. Um, there were some secondary pieces. That's the primary label that they say needs to be on every single wire, right? And it can't be written on there with a Sharpie. It has to last at least the length of the wire. I like that too. You got a 10-year warranty on the wire, you got to use labels in your last 10 years because that's that's just part of the thing. I even describe the font and make sure they're right direction, everything's facing the right direction, everything, not one's upside down in relation to the other. Um, those things are all great, but one thing I liked uh, was an idea in the secondary piece, which were optional, unfortunately, but was a, a to and from, you know, yeah. this is source and sync, you know, having a secondary label that just describes source and sync very quickly. Um, there was another idea to put the wire type on there. Um, I'm of the mindset if you're in the back of a rack and you're touching a wire and you don't know it's an HDMI cable, you probably shouldn't be touching the rack. You shouldn't have to have a, a label on it to tell you it's an HDMI cable. And if it's uh, something that's jacketed, it probably already has a manufacturer's printed, you know, 22-4, CAT5, CAT6, 350 gig, whatever, printed on that jacket somewhere anyway to find that out. But I like that secondary idea of source and sync um, as a best practice for a company. If I was running an integrator, I'd want to do that just so if I send out a guy, I don't even have to worry about finding the, the, the key, right, for the most part. Um, if I know source or, or and sync. Or you're, you're, if you're an integrator, you'll probably have the same key, right? Yeah, If, if exactly. it's your job, you have the same key. Hopefully. Sure. Yeah. So I think I think that's great. And I, you know, I heard. Um, I think anybody who isn't adopting this really isn't in the business of providing long-term maybe services. I heard. I think uh, a uh, 
interview that you had, Tim, with Yorktail with Craig McCormick because they mm-hmm. got integrated for the year and said they don't want to take a job where they don't get the service contract. Um, obviously, if you're going to service a system, you're going to want to adopt a standard like this, yeah, right? Absolutely. It just makes your job easier um, going back in there. I'd say the only other one piece of commentary that I have is that this is an Infocom standard written for Infocom people, which is awesome. I think it's great that we cut the decision, the death by committee out of it by three years. I think that's a great thing. Um, I would argue that there's probably a reduced cost in creating a standard like this because of ANSI, and that this would be a standard that would be awesome to release to non-members without charging them 60 bucks. Because honestly, there are a lot of guys out there that aren't Infocom members that are out doing jobs, and a lot of times those are the jobs we're going and fixing. Giving them a free standard like this to just make their business run a little better yeah. may make our jobs easier in the long run too. And if we don't have uh, any type of ANSI fees and and extra cost involved there, just some volunteers that are doing you know Gaiman's work for Infocom, you know maybe this would be one you could offer up at zero bucks for people mm-hmm. that even aren't Infocom members. Yeah, I'm almost so, like a you know, just an idea, best practice type thing. So. It, and I don't know what the plans are, but that makes sense. Um, I believe ANSI requires them to uh, charge for standards because ANSI does. Mm-hmm. So yep. be, being a guy who buys a lot of ANSI and ISA standards, yep. um, I don't think that Infocom can get away, and this may be something that they they release more widely because they can. Yeah, exactly. Almost, almost yeah, like I was going to say, as long as it's it out there, it, it could be adapt, adopted, you know, wire. Yeah. Mr. Cordell, what, what think you? Yeah, man. I, I feel like we're having a, you know another AV industry FUBU moment. You know, it's for us, by us. You know, and we don't have to go through the rigors, as was specifically noted. You know, in that article, I happen to have it because my designer, the day it came out, came and dropped it on my desk. You know, one of our design team. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's great for those of you who haven't seen it. You know, there's a good-looking label. You want to get artsy with it? Maybe put it in the lower right or left-hand corner. No. No. Big ad. No. <laughs> Why? How? Why would you think that would be, that would be appropriate at any time? Um, yeah, I mean, these guys, you know, knocked it out of the park. It's always a good idea to have standards. I think as integrators grow, I mean, you know, we started out like a lot of integrators as a small company with basically just the source to sync. You know, I mean, yes, we had somebody doing line drawings, but might not necessarily have the the need for a full key. But as we've continued to grow, that's just something that comes along with the territory. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, we're all hoping that the consultant. You know, every consultancy uh, firm out there jumps on this because even within, you know, from consultant to consultant, sometimes we'll see some different uh, nomenclatures. And so that would really help push it out into the industry if uh, if everybody gets on board with like that. Real quick question. Yeah. We're hitting up against time here. So if, if a consultancy, if a consultant uh, specs out a nomenclature, do you follow it or do you do um, ask for a revision to use your own nomenclature? We, you know, typically follow theirs and yeah. kind of just fall in line with, with where they get, you know, and we're a midsize, you know, does Whitlock or AVISPL, I mean, do they have to do that? Probably not. They probably say this is how we do it, you know, because they're out, out there in the forefront of the industry, uh, and that's great for them, you know. Uh, but a lot of times, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of go with the flow, and, and again, as a, as a growing, evolving company, it helps us get a lot of different looks at ways that things are done in the industry. Uh, ideally, it all, it all syncs up, and we're all on the same page mm-hmm. uh, eventually, but, you know, it's, it's always good to know the various ways that people do it so that when you come behind another integrator in the field and they've got some wacky uh, num- numbering scheme, you know, you can decipher it. All right. Well, the other thing is, is we're getting ready for ISE next next week, and um, one of the 
things that Infocom has planned is is another one of these. Um, oh, the 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 um, Paul, do you know, the rack building, rack building. Uh, they're doing a rack building standard. So again, another another for us bias. Uh, we'll see how that one goes. So, all right, gentlemen, that's going to hit it. Um, we're going to pack up the studio here and, and head to Amsterdam. Mr. Coxon, thank you, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, it. People can find you at uh, obviously at, uh, at at Daylight Milestone, but I also find your writings, <clears throat> which you had one about code and who owns it at Rave Pubs. Yeah, you deal with screens, buddy. Screens. There is no code <laughs> in screens. It was a very nice article. I just disagreed yeah, with. Well, that. good. That that's fine, and I encourage. I would encourage you to uh, to comment on it or write a counterpoint that I could share All at, right. at abphenom on Twitter. All right, I may do that. Uh, yeah. How how do people find you in in Milestone or wherever else? Yeah. So Mark Coxon at Milestone com or at av. Phenom on Twitter. All right, very good. Mr. Zeely, thank you, sir. Thank you. And I will see your happy face next week in, in Amsterdam. Yeah, I will be um, doing all kinds of stuff. If you're heading to ISE, um, I'm doing several Infocom sessions, including the uh, Quiz the Wiz, which I think is trending on hashtag Quiz the Wiz. <laughs> Um, it's essentially the happy hour entertainment. Um, it comes with free beer and pretzels. Yeah. Um, and they wanted me to do presentations, and I was lazy. So I said, oh, well, why don't uh, you just do Q&A? And uh, that way I don't have to prepare anything. Oh, good Lord. And, Seriously? Uh, that, that's exactly, exactly <laughs> what happened. like that. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's great. I mean, it's, it's people that always ask questions. Um, you know, I get, to, I get to give my opinion. Um Makes Harmon Marketing a little worried, but eh. <laughs> yeah. That's wizard level planning, though. You, a yeah. beer, and a microphone would make anybody nervous, regardless of whose marketing <laughs> firm they were with. All right. Uh, and Mr. Cordell, thank you, sir. Yeah, absolutely, man. Glad to be here. Find me on Twitter, the underscore AV underscore pro. Find me on YouTube, youtube.com backslash high fidelity, H I P H I D E L I T Y. Thanks, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I've mentioned ISE a couple times, Integrated Systems Europe. Um, if you're going next week, uh, stop by. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Several different booths. Uh, we have one in Hall 7. Uh, we're also going to be we're, we're partnering up with a couple of folks, and it, it's kind of neat. Um, it, it, it's, it's bringing people together. Um, uh, the folks at AV Magazine, which is a publication out of the UK, also the guys at Daily Do. Um, so Daily Do does not have a booth. They're going to be uh, a couple of different other uh, ones, uh, Adrian and, and the guys. Um, AV Magazine, though, they have one in, in Hall 6. Ours is in Hall 7. We're doing all of our podcasts in, in, in at AV Magazine's booth, uh, including one with Mr. Zeely. We're going to be doing on network, network security. Oh, my gosh. That one is something else. Um, yeah, we got a lot of big hitters, including including Paul, uh, talking about network security. We'll be doing a daily wrap-up show at about 5.45 local time, which is roughly, if, if I, my math is correct, 11.45 um, uh, Eastern uh, here in the States. Uh, also, we've got two different tweet-ups. One is uh, in the AV Magazine booth on Tuesday from noon until 3. Uh, the other one is at the HD Base T booth on Wednesday from 4 to 6. Uh, so yeah, all kinds of stuff. Um, so uh, my yeah, just go by and, and, and come by. If you're not going to ISC, follow us. Uh, Aviation uh, TV is is the Twitter. Um, 
You can go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this program, tons of others. We, uh, George Tucker and I got to sit down with uh, Dr. Michio Kaku, um, and, and that was very cool. Uh, he's previewing his speech at, at ISE. Uh, you'll also find our list of underwriters, and you may ask yourself what an underwriter is. It's people who think that what we do is important for the industry, and they, they help us do things like go to ISE. Milestone is one of them. Thank you very much. Um, and, and we had a brand new one this week, which is, which is kind of cool. Um, it's, it, 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 guys from, from a bunch of really great guys from, and gals from Ireland, uh, a company called Display Note. Uh, so check that out if you would please, avianation.tv. Avianation.tv, for those of you going to ISE, we will see you in, in Amsterdam next week. For the, those who, of you who aren't, go ahead and watch. All kinds of cool stuff uh, will be coming out uh, coming out of the ISE show. So thank you all so much. Avianation.tv, that's all the time we have for AV Week. Oh, my God.